Hi, everyone. Before we get started with the show, I just want to give a shout out to my pals here at Alive and Social. The Twin Cities Hit Show plays Monday through Thursday from 930 uh, in the morning. And um, there you'll hear from Rusty Gatenby, a a well-known celebrity here in the Twin Cities, along with uh, comedian Colleen Justice and uh, ex-police sergeant Chuck Gallup. They are just a, a fun bunch. Um, you're going to hear a lot of bantering and a lot of information about hot topics, both here locally as well as nationally. So check the Twin Cities hit show. Um, another show that's really getting a lot of attention is Apples to Apples. And it's a, it's a sports show that features a father and son team of Scott and Drew Applebaum. And their uh, their audience, they've named the Apple Orchard. So check them out. They are on Mondays at 2.30, and you'll, you'll hear a lot of fun bantering um, between uh, father and son on apples to apples. Last, I want to just give a shout-out to uh, Mortgages and BS. Uh, this is a great show where you're going to really learn a lot of information. Thursday afternoons at 4. Uh, you're going to hear from mortgage expert Tom Smith and radio personality BT, Brian Turner. And listen in to these two unique personalities um, discuss the relevant issues pertaining to home ownership. And um, you're going to get a little mix of spattering of BS in there as well. So um, check out Alive and Social. I think you'll be, um, I think you'll be glad you did. Please can you remind me if you're if you'll be so kind staring out into space asking God to hear my case trying to think of all things past how long will my memory last with purple angel Hi, and welcome to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I'm Lori LeBay, your host and founder of Alzheimer Speaks. For those of you that are new to our show, um, we are an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care culture from crisis to comfort around the world. And we truly believe that by joining forces and sharing knowledge and just having these everyday conversations about life with dementia, that we're going to be able to remove the stigmas, increase awareness, and help people continue to live powerful lives. Together, by sharing, we can really figure out the true needs of this disease, and we can live gracefully on all levels with it. At our core, we believe collaboration is really the only way we're going to win this battle against dementia. The the disease is growing in numbers, and more and more families are being touched every day. In fact, every 3.2 seconds, someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia. And I know that this collaborative means is working because you made Alzheimer's Speaks the number one influencer online, according to Share Care and Dr. Oz. And you did that by your likes and your clicks and your shares, um, sharing our information with your friends on Facebook, with your colleagues on LinkedIn, with your uh, Twitter tribes, all of those small little clicks are extremely powerful and have had a huge, huge impact. Because so many times we don't know, even in our own sphere of influence, how many people are really dealing with this disease in their own family or their own friendship circle or their work colleagues or people in their neighborhood. And the more information we can push out, 
the more we can make it appear more normal. And people aren't going to be so fearful to reach out and grab the information when we need it. So I really want to thank all of you for your continued support. And um, if you wouldn't mind liking this show and uh, tweeting it out to your friends and family, uh, we would greatly appreciate that as well. Before I introduce our guest today, I always like to give a shout out to a few different organizations. And uh, today I want to highlight the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. They are uh, a foundation that focuses more on holistic means. So uh, if you go there, you'll find out uh, things about uh, diet and meditation and exercise. Um, They do some free teleseminars. In fact, I'll be um, one of their featured speakers uh, this month in November that you can go ahead and listen to. Again, just go to the Alzheimer's Research and Prevention Foundation. Some of the other um, associations that I think are important that not everybody knows of is the Alzheimer's Disease International, and that is the that is the association of all Alzheimer's associations around the world. And so if you are looking to get connected with an Alzheimer's association, check out ADI. And there you'll not only be able to find the one closest to you, but you'll have great uh, global data as well. They do some wonderful research projects and have some great resources there too. Uh, Locally here, um, HealthStar Home Health uh, is one of my favorite uh, home care agencies. I just love the work that they do and the philosophy in which they do it. They are really about connecting and improving lives with people. So check out HealthStar Home Health, and uh, you won't be disappointed. Tell Holly and Tim, and I say hi. So let's go ahead and introduce our guest today. Really excited to have this woman with us. Um, In fact, I have seen her smiling face on on many of newsletters uh, posting her talks, which I personally have not been able to get to, um, but was lucky enough to be referred to her and, uh, and thrilled when she had an opening to be able to come in on the show. Dr. Sonia Mosh is a board-certified clinical neuropsychologist, and she works here in the Twin Cities for the past 15 years, and she does a lot of diagnosis and treatment of dementia. And her specialty interests include dementia, MS, Parkinson's disease, concussions and sports, uh, and performance psychology. Uh, Dr. Mosh is part of the Health Partners Center for Memory and Aging um, Interdisciplinary Clinic, and they just have a phenomenal record and approach. I mean, I, I refer people there all the time. I just think so highly of of the way that they manage their business to make life easier for their families. Um, They're also part of Club uh, Neuropsychologists for the Minnesota Wild, which is here our hockey team. And Dr. Mosh has a private practice as well for sports performance psychology, and she works with kids and athletes and um, different groups interested in brain behavior and science. to improve uh, performance. So welcome, Dr. Mosh. How are you today? I'm well. Thanks for having me, Lori. Well, I'm just thrilled, like I said, to have you here. I uh, I was able to, we were kind of joking earlier, mm-hmm. I was able to read her evaluations before her <laughs> <laughs> on one of her talks she did. And people just raved about about your content and your personality style as a speaker. Thank you. And so, um, but I thought, you know, to start out, why don't we just talk and and inform our audience, 
what exactly is a neuropsychologist? Because a lot of uh-huh. people don't know what that means. Yeah, that's a, that's a good place to start. So a neuropsychologist is a clinical psychologist that has specialty expertise in the brain. So typically the training path is getting uh, a PhD in clinical psychology or neuropsychology and then doing additional um, two-year fellowship training in neuropsychology. So we try to help understand how the brain is working. And we use paper and pencil tests to try to measure those skills. And by doing that, we're better able to understand what's the diagnosis here. Okay. You know, what does this pattern look like? Okay, now you're part of the mm-hmm. memory clinic. And, and one of the mm-hmm. things that I like with the Health Partners Center mm-hmm. for Memory and Aging is you really do have that in, interdisciplinary team, yep. you know, put together there, which makes it so much easier for families yes. to be connected. Is that one of the things that that attracted you to the clinic, or was that something that kind of happened while you were at the clinic? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I was definitely impressed with that model um, that was implemented before I joined the group, but um, under Dr. Mike Rosenblum's guidance and direction, they developed this program where try to make it a one-stop shop mm-hmm. for patients and families so they don't have to come for multiple visits over multiple months. Um, so trying to get things like the neurologist visit, the neuropsychologist visit, lab work drawn, um, imaging studies done, trying to get all of that done um, in a very quick time frame so people don't have to wait so long for results and they can just make it easier, mm-hmm. less travel time, less waiting. Yeah, and I know um, we have a few people from our memory clinic who mm-hmm. go there, and they just rave about that. It just makes their life so much easier and really a simplified thing. So yeah. good it, job. It was a patient-centered model that drove the whole um, concept. So, yeah, it's it's a very cool concept, and there aren't many places that do it, so I'm fortunate to be part of it. Okay, great. Can you tell us, you know, what's the concept behind your design psychology, mm-hmm. um, and, and how does that work? What does that really... Um, so a few years ago, I began reading about and learning about um, combining what we know about psychology with interior design, and so my one of my um, consulting businesses is therapeutic design, and the premise behind it is if we help people optimize their environment, they can live and work and feel better, um, and we can optimize the environment based on what we know about their diagnosis. Okay. So sometimes it can be, you know, for example, designing a home office for an adult with attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we minimize distractions? How do we help people be more productive? Um it has applications to, <clears throat> for example, nursing home facilities. Um, different types of dementia uh, profiles have different needs. Mm-hmm. So, for example, somebody with a Lewy body dementia, those folks need a lot of lighting, more so than an Alzheimer's patient, for example. They get a little more confused if there's dim lighting, um, that they're more prone to hallucinations, et cetera, when there's not enough um, visual stimulation. So, so those are some examples of how we use what we know about somebody's diagnosis to design the space so that it fits best and okay. it's safest. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with, with Steve Orfield, by chance, with Orfield Labs? 
Steve Orfield, Orfield Labs. I'm not. If not, I, sh- I should connect you. Uh-huh. Um, he does some amazing work with design and environment. Uh-huh. Um, does a lot of work with uh, architects, and he's got the quietest wor- room in the world, and he's right here in Minneapolis. So, oh, really? So I'll definitely connect you. I think you guys would have a great conversation. Yeah. And, and um, who knows, might end up doing some business together That's there. That's great. Yeah. There's a lot of um there's a lot of really cool information about how our attention span <clears throat> can be affected really significantly by our environment and taking breaks, like incorporating a nature walk when you're doing a mentally really draining task. If you walk in nature versus walking in an urban environment, your brain performs better when you resume your task. Uh-huh. So there are ways to restore attention based on what you're doing in the environment. Okay, which makes a lot of sense Mm because you get out into the community and then it's just even more overstimulation in just another format (laughs) instead. Yeah, Yeah. so yeah, Mm -hmm. I can see where that would be, would make a ton ton of sense. Um, Do you do any um, design work with with families in general or do you do more businesses? Um, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to work with families. Um, I think that's a really good application of these principles. And sometimes it's not necessarily a diagnosis per se. Sometimes it's a family change mm-hmm. that has psychological relevance. Mm-hmm. You know, um, somebody's recently widowed, for mm-hmm. example. Um, what do we need to think about in terms of improving mood and overall functioning? with redesigning a space for that mm-hmm. family? What do we need to think about when a family is adopting a, a child? Mm-hmm. You know, So sometimes it's not necessarily a diagnosis per se, but yeah, residential work is exciting and fun and okay. rewarding. Yeah. yeah, I can see that with, uh, with dementia a lot. There's just so many different things. That can, Endless that applications can with dementia, yeah. And folks want to really try to stay in their homes as long as they can. Mm-hmm. And there's so many modifications we can help make within somebody's home to try to prolong that mm-hmm. so do you do a lot with uh, like fall prevention because that can be just mm-hmm. such, you know such a disaster for somebody with dementia yeah. and get hospitalized and you know uh I feel that's a little out of my expertise so I would probably defer that to you know maybe an occupational therapist okay. or a physical therapist but you know luckily there's so many good qualified professionals in the twin mm-hmm. cities it's easy to make referrals to good people okay Great, great. Um, now, I know one of your, your colleagues, Dr. Uh, Terry Barkley, mm-hmm. who's just absolutely, he's just a wonderful guy, mm-hmm. great insights. Um, I, I can't even imagine, um, you know, the team that you guys have built down there is really quite exceptional. Thank you. And, and pretty renowned um, around the country. And, you know, to me, that's that's exciting just to have that here in the, here in the, in the Twin, Twin Cities. Cities. And I think a lot of people don't understand the importance and how lucky we are <laughs> to, to kind of have what we have right here in our Thank own you. backyard. Because a lot of times we we don't know it's different, you know, right. in other in mm-hmm. other parts of the country. Um, can you tell us besides dementia, some mm-hmm. of your other main specialty interests? You had mm-hmm. mentioned, um, you know, uh, concussions in, in sports, and, mm-hmm. and to me, I just find that so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's so many changes going on mm-hmm. right now. Um, with that, can you give us a little insight with your work with hockey sure. players with the Wild? And yeah, we could do a whole hour just on concussion, couldn't we? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So I um, I have the privilege of being the, the club neuropsychologist for the Minnesota Wild. So that's it's really fun, exciting work to get to um, uh, test the hockey players. I test everybody before the season starts. Mm-hmm. So we get a baseline measurement of how everybody's um, cognitive abilities look before the season starts. And then my job basically is to evaluate um, guys after they get a concussion to see if they look cognitively back to normal. So essentially, the theory is we don't want to put someone with a vulnerable brain in a situation where they could get hit again. Mm -hmm. So there are lots and lots of um, important regulations that the NHL has in place to protect players. And so I'm part of the NHL um, program to do that. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you use by chance the mm-hmm. reality comprehension clock test at all for the, for concussion testing? Yeah. No. Uh, nope. We have a we have a protocol that is um, designed and developed by the NHL consultants, and it's the same across the entire league. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was just really impressed with that test mm-hmm. and um, what what it can do in terms of. Uh, you know, and you know, so many times we'd see, you know, if if it was a fight or whatever, you know, they're putting up the numbers. You know, uh-huh. how many numbers do I have? And <laughs> and in talking with Barbara Brock, who developed that, um, she just said, you know, they've gone through extensive studies in terms of the different pieces of the brain to mm-hmm. have them draw this clock. It's just a little bit different than the normal clock that everyone thinks about, you right. know, with dementia testing mm-hmm. and and what they can find out in different parts. And so I always. Mention that in case someone's not aware of it and something that they're interested uh-huh. in and, and uh, not. I'm always trying to help make connections with people with that. Um, do you see the sports medicine really changing in terms of mm-hmm. concussions? I mean, I, it, it, it appears to be, you know, mm-hmm. from the conversations I'm seeing, but I'm mm-hmm. not on the inside. Well, it's certainly gotten a lot of um, media attention, especially in the past five years. Um, and... You know, the interesting thing about the concussion research is that the scientific community isn't, you know, uniformly decided on what are significant long-term um, deficits associated mm-hmm. with concussion. So in some ways, that's the exciting part of working in concussion is that there's still a lot to be learned mm-hmm. and that, you know, the scientific community is still trying to figure this out as well. Um but definitely there's a movement always every year towards more and more protection of players. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've just been supremely impressed with the NHL's um, diligence to the letter of the law with protecting the guys and making sure that, you know, no one is being put in a situation where they're at risk. Mm-hmm. So Good. I just mm-hmm. saw something on TV yesterday, and it was they were talking about the NFL players and stuff, mm-hmm. and... And how the game is going to mm-hmm. change in mm-hmm. terms of you know what is now legal and what isn't anymore in terms of hits and um, penalties and, yes. and those types of things and and I know more and more families are starting to worry about their young kids mm-hmm. playing sports and are you know you're hearing a lot of different c- discussions on so many different right. levels right you know with this well I am a hockey mom myself mm-hmm. um, hi Freddie. That's my son. He is an 11-year-old hockey player, and I feel very comfortable with um, him playing hockey because the equipment is um, 
it's more efficiently and effectively designed. The helmets are very protective. And the coaches have so much concussion education Mm -hmm. in order to even be in that role of being a coach. Um, And I feel very comfortable with him being in that sport. I'm not concerned about it. Mm -hmm. So I think if... People sometimes ask me, you know, should I pull my kid out of football? (laughs) You know, I don't know. Do what's right for your family. But my kid plays hockey and he loves it. And so far what I've seen with his organization is they seem pretty concerned about kids' safety. And, um, you know, I'm a neurotic mom just like everybody else. I'd pull him off the ice (laughs) in a heartbeat if I thought he was in danger. So, Uh okay. Well, that's that's always good to know. Can Uh you um, talk to us a little bit about... Um, the different types, uh, you know, maybe highlight, uh, you know, mm-hmm. four or five different types of dementia mm-hmm. and, and, um, and how you can maybe help families in terms of deal with different behaviors with, sure. the, with the variables. Yeah. Well, so as you already know, you know, the most common type is Alzheimer's dementia. And dementia is really just a general umbrella term for somebody who has problems with Um, thinking abilities, and it's affecting their daily functioning. So they're having trouble with um, paying bills, taking medications, driving, shopping, et cetera. So they have to have a functional impairment as well as a deficit with their thinking abilities. So dementia is this general term. Then you can have dementia due to, for example, Alzheimer's disease, dementia due to Parkinson's disease, dementia due to vascular disease. That would be multiple strokes. Um, Dementia due to Lewy body disease, um, that is one of the diseases that sometimes can look like a Parkinson's dementia, but we can do a pretty good job in the clinic of differentiating that. Um, So the most common one that we'll run into usually is Alzheimer's disease. And those folks, you know, the memory impairment is really most prominent with Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Um, So oftentimes... Um, if they come to a memory clinic, they'll um, have some education about what are the medication options with this kind of disease and a lot of collaborative education. We have a social worker who helps us um, trying to help the family understand what to expect, mm-hmm. what to plan for. You know, um, as the memory deteriorates over this is a typical timeline, maybe seven to eight years, what kinds of things might become problematic? For, you know, for your loved one. So um, Lewy body dementia that I mentioned, those folks have different symptoms. They tend to have hallucinations. So they may be seeing things that aren't there. Um, animals is a very common one. People, children, um, deceased relatives. And oftentimes they're not distressed at all. You know, they're preparing tea mm-hmm. for the visitors and, no, you know, not too worried about it. Um Sometimes um, there is some distress about it. So working with uh, a dementia um, practice, you can get some idea of whether this this person would benefit from some medications to try to control the hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if no one's really distressed by it, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we don't need to add another medication to what they're already taking. So that's an example of a behavior that we could possibly address in a memory clinic. Um, so those are some of the common dementias. Okay. So in terms of, um, you know, you had mentioned mm-hmm. behaviors with Lewy body in terms of mm-hmm. hallucinating. Can you give some mm-hmm. examples with 
um, maybe a vascular dementia, mm -hmm. maybe what are some typical signs sure. that, that family might see? Mm -hmm. So interestingly, with a vascular dementia patient, it, they often come in saying, I just don't remember things. But when we give them formal neuropsychological tests, what we find is that they are actually making new memories. So for example, one of the tests we give might be to ask them to learn a list of 12 words. Mm -hmm. We'd give it to them, we'd read it to them three times and give them opportunities to learn it. Somebody with a vascular dementia may have some trouble um, retrieving those words later, mm -hmm. but when we give them a hint, they do great. You know, we say, okay, was apple on that list? Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, it was. So in that case, it's different than an Alzheimer's dementia patient because that Alzheimer's patient, the memory hasn't been formed. Mm -hmm. In a vascular dementia patient, uh, the memory has been made. So in, in my talk, I explained it like the file has been saved. It uh -huh. just got misplaced. Okay. You know, and whereas in an Alzheimer's dementia patient, the file wasn't saved. Okay. You know, the save button wasn't working. Okay. And that's where families can get really upset because it's mm -hmm. like, well, of course you remember. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. you, you, your families do that all the time. Well, come on, we just talked about that. Oh, right. You know? and, and then the frustration increases on both sides right. and the anxiety and, yeah. and things there. So in that case, you might give a very different recommendation to a family who's got an advanced Alzheimer's patient versus a family who has a vascular dementia patient. Mm -hmm. The vascular dementia um, patient, they will benefit from having a hint, mm -hmm. you know, and say, okay, were we going to meet them for lunch at 12 or 1.30? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that person is going to benefit a lot more from having a hint. Um, in, in the Alzheimer's case, you know, it's probably just discouraging, mm -hmm. demoralizing, you know, there's really no reason to try to offer that hint if, if the memory impairment is really advanced because it's not going to jog the memory. The memory wasn't made. Yeah. No, you're just pointing out in, ano just, in another fashion how exactly. they don't remember. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, you know, we don't need to um, make things any more emotional than they already are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's it's so hard for families because they see it so black and white mm -hmm. and they're so used to the mm -hmm. way things were. Yes. And, um, you know, so I, uh -huh. so many times I, I personally found in, in our situation that, you know, we were the triggers in a mm. lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And, and, I, and I, when I talk with families, you know, most of them don't like to look at, well, that it could be us. Right. <laughs> that really is getting, you know, aggravating right. things and taking it to another level because right. we're, we're just trying to help. Families always have, you know, best interest at heart. And I think sometimes what I hear a lot too is, am I really being helpful by trying to make her think mm -hmm. by asking her these questions? Is it sort of brain exercise for her? I'm, I'm not just feeding the answer to her. So I'm making her think, isn't that good for her brain? Mm -hmm. Um, in the case where the memory impairment is really advanced, it's actually not that helpful in mm -hmm. terms of, um, you know, what activity you're providing to the brain. So mm -hmm. I, I can see where families would think that, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to just spoon feed the answer because gosh, then I'm not, I'm not making her think for herself. Mm -hmm. um, How about frontal temporal lobe dementia? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What, what type of, um, 
behaviors might a family experience there? Mm-hmm. How could they handle them differently? Right. Um, so as a general rule that affects people a little bit younger mm-hmm. than Alzheimer's disease, so sometimes people are still working um, and have you know pretty active lives when they start to begin to show symptoms. Um, and there are different types of frontotemporal dementia, um, but the behavioral variant, which is I think the one you're referring to, that type um, presents with changes where somebody's acting out of character. Mm-hmm. They're doing things that are kind of goofy, like um, socially inappropriate maybe, or um, not behaving like themselves. Um, maybe lapses in judgment, changes with how they're spending money, um, sexual behavior, eating behavior, gambling. Um, so they may show these kind of a disinhibited pattern where they're not able to control their impulses as much. Mm-hmm. And that can be a real challenge for families. Like, who is this man I was married to for 30 years and now he's acting like kind of a goofball? What's going on? So it can be very, very um, distressing for family members. So oftentimes it's... Um, really therapeutic to just provide some education that, you know, your spouse is not doing this to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. It's it's not volitional. It's not to hurt anybody. It's not, um, it's because of a, it's because of a medical condition. And here's what we're going to do to try to help manage that. Yeah. And sometimes they, <laughs> I mean, I've heard families go, mm-hmm. he's turned into a deviant. You know what? You know, yes. he was, he was a pastor and now he's yes. swearing or he's sexual or, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And they, mm-hmm. they just can't um, imagine mm-hmm. that this person, these behaviors are mm-hmm. coming out of this person now. Right. Personality changes yep. that are really pretty, can be pretty dramatic sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or getting physically aggressive. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, how do they, how do they deal with that? And mm-hmm. when do, when does a change have to occur? If, if someone is getting, and that's a, a question I hear quite often from mm-hmm. people, how do they know when, when to get help? Mm. You know, when they're, when someone's becoming physical, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of safety for both parties and mm-hmm. stuff, because there's such guilt in terms of if I have to place somebody or if I, if we have to medicate or, I mean, mm-hmm. all those things families really struggle with? Is there a rule of thumb that you talk to them about? Mm. Um, I guess I'm always a proponent of staying ahead of problems mm-hmm. rather than waiting for them to occur um, because I think it's it's easier to deal with and potentially less, um, less pain for everybody involved. So if somebody is starting to show tendencies towards getting really agitated. Um, Maybe they're throwing objects in the home before they actually lash out physically at somebody, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, Those are, those are signs that it's, you know, time to talk with somebody, you know, let's get an appointment right away with the doctor and see what needs to change or what needs to Mm -hmm. happen. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, do you ever recommend for family members to um, seek counseling themselves when dealing with behaviors? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think it's possible to get too much help. (laughs) I mean, I'm in the helping profession, but I think, um, you know, everybody, everybody in this context, the patient, the spouse, the adult children, the grandkids, everybody's affected in their own unique way and Mm -hmm. has their own emotional reaction to what's happening. Um, 
So it's often extremely valuable just to even have, you know, three to five sessions with a good um, psychologist or therapist who can just help you process what's going on mm-hmm. um, because there is a loss there, mm-hmm. you know. There's some grief and loss. This, you know, this isn't the mom I grew up with or, you know, I feel like I don't know my dad anymore, you know, those kinds of um, sad grieving processes. It's, it's often really helpful to talk through that with somebody. Okay, I that's what I was thinking, and mm-hmm. I know that a lot of times as caregivers or mm-hmm. care partners, people go, I don't have time for that, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but you're talking your sanity and theirs. Yeah, and it's sort of like um, anytime we're talking about self-care, you know, um, I'll give an example that my dad um, shares with me. When you're on the airplane, they say, put your mask on first mm-hmm. before you help anybody around you, right? Because... If you've passed out, (laughs) you can't help anybody next to you. Exactly. Right? So I think that's important with um, being a caregiver is to try to squeeze that hour of whatever it is for you, yoga, exercise, Mm -hmm. coffee with a friend, taking a walk, Mm -hmm. kickboxing, you know, whatever it is for self-care, 45 minutes, carve it out and make sure you take time for yourself because then you'll be a better caregiver and you can't take care of your loved one if someone else has to take care of you. Yep. Right? Yeah. Or if you're just out of whack and there's no one to take care of you. Because right. I think that that's what happens a lot with people, too. They, yeah. They isolate. Right. And really think no nobody else can do what if they do. And um, mm. when we allow others to, to help, then mm-hmm. we can kind of get back to the core of our relationships, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that that's something that with disease um, kind of gets sucked away and people don't even mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. Um, the loss of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they know they're feeling something, but they can't quite put their finger mm-hmm. on it all the time mm-hmm. with that. So great, great advice. Um, how can how can we use brain science to optimize our performance mm-hmm. as a whole, mm-hmm. you know, for, for both those living with dementia and just mm-hmm. in general? Mm-hmm. Well, um, one of the most interesting um, lines of research, I think, in the last 10 to 15 years has come around looking at the neuroscience of meditation mm-hmm. and um, studying brains of Buddhist monks and experienced meditators and trying to understand people that are able to effectively quiet their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an amazing skill. Um, and those attention span circuits that we all use throughout our waking hours, um, having those attention span circuits firing at all cylinders and being able to really quiet down mm-hmm. all the chatter is really a, an impressive skill, and it takes practice, mm-hmm. just like you would practice you know, a physical activity. Yep. So these experienced meditators... Um, for example, bounce back quicker from a painful stimulus. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are all kinds of ways that we can learn to try to quiet our minds in our daily lives so that we can focus better mm-hmm. and understand what what is my goal in this activity? How can I stay focused on that? And how can I make this the best it can be? Mm-hmm. So... One application that I'm using is um, using guided visualization and meditation with my son's hockey team. 
to try to help them manage their little 11-year-old performance anxiety. Mm -hmm. And um, it's been a very um, interesting and, you know, kind of joyful experience to watch these kids learn to embrace getting their mind quiet. Mm -hmm. And then they um, tell me that they're able to kind of skate better, focus better, bounce back better. Yep. So you can use it before you're going to give a big speech. You can use it before you go into a job interview. Um, or if you just have to have a really difficult conversation with somebody. It doesn't have to be some big dramatic event. But, you know, learning to quiet the mind so the chatter is less. Yep. And you can get real focused. Well, and I think we all have those inner critics that yell and scream at us and tell us what rotten, you know, person we are. We could have done better and we should have done better. And and we we listen to that Mm -hmm. and then we wonder why we might get a little down Mm -hmm. or frustrated Mm -hmm. and and getting quiet. I, I, you know, I practice meditation and Mm -hmm. not as much as I used to. I used to be really, really good with Mm -hmm. it. And um, I, I, I really miss it, though. I need to mm-hmm. incorporate that more. Even when I, back in the days when I sold real estate, I would shut my office door, uh-huh. I'd close my blinds, I'd light a candle, I'd play some music, and 20 minutes, uh-huh. I, you know, and sometimes it was just 10, uh-huh. I would just sit and be quiet, and it was so powerful. It was just like a power nap, you know? Yes. And, um, you know, and, and napping is something I'm appreciating more as I'm getting older now that I'm in my <laughs> mid-50s. You know, Who doesn't just, love a good nap? Just a little cat nap right. is like, oh, yeah, I like that, you know. Yep. Um, so I think it's great that you're mm-hmm. teaching it to the kids. I would love to see mm-hmm. these types of concepts get into our school system. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think we're doing a really disjustice to our children by mm-hmm. not teaching them mm-hmm. a lot of these modalities that are out there. Yeah. Because the world has changed so significantly yeah. And, um, and they need they need every everything that they can get. Last year, the hockey team, uh, one of the kids said, oh, I already know about this um, because my teacher has us do this every morning. Mm-hmm. And so this little guy, he was super excited about it. He knew all about meditation. And he said, yeah, we use this. Sometimes we have to do it twice mm-hmm. because my teacher says we're all too squirrely. <laughs> <laughs> But that's great. He he gets the he, idea of calming down. Calm know. down and channel. Yep. Channel your energy. Channel what you want to do. What do you want to mm-hmm. accomplish here? Yep. What are you trying to get done? Um, what's your goal? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, for a person with dementia, um, you know they will they will say many times that. I can't really meditate. I can get quiet mm-hmm. and I can I can become content. Mm-hmm. But I can't re- they don't always feel like they can do a full meditation mm-hmm. in terms of follow that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still, you know, my advice, I said there's nothing wrong with being quiet and content. I that's Absolutely. powerful powerful mm-hmm. stuff. And yep. so, mm-hmm. you know, if the care if they're doing it together with their care partner and they're going deeper fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't see anything wrong with that, you know, if they're not able to. But that mm-hmm. they'll still be able to do part of the ride, I guess. Absolutely. With it and get some of the benefits. I also think that as technology is getting um, so much more advanced, it's really cool that you can Google um, guided meditation for um, improving attention, mm-hmm. guided meditation for uh, memory loss. And you could pull up a YouTube meditation that you can listen to mm-hmm. for free, you know, kind of anywhere you have internet access. 
and there are apps for your smartphone. Um, so there are lots of different ways to listen to a guided meditation, mm-hmm. which I think is cognitively less demanding for people mm-hmm. than silent. Yep. So you listen to somebody's voice and they're talking you through what to visualize, what to do with your breathing, what to do with your um, body, relaxing shoulders, et cetera. I think that's cognitively a lot less demanding mm-hmm. for, for most people. So sometimes that can be more um, within reach for somebody who has a cognitive impairment mm-hmm. to say, um, you know, you could just, you know, Google 10-minute guided meditation for sleep, mm-hmm. you know, and that could be something that the patient and caregiver could do right before bed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think getting into those those rituals and, and having those mm-hmm. routines start early, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially once a, a diagnosis has, has occurred. I mean, it's great mm-hmm. to get those habits started way before any of that, but um, mm-hmm. being able to tap that skill set and just have mm-hmm. that, that zone of comfort that's mm-hmm. safe, mm-hmm. you know, where they don't need necessarily anyone else um, right. but themselves right. is, a, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, well, this has been a great conversation. Anything else that you'd like to talk about? We've got about 10 minutes left. Okay. Um, you know, I just uh, am just really grateful that you had me on the program, and I think you're doing amazing work for this community, and everybody's very grateful for your contribution and uh, putting helping to put Minneapolis on the map and um, that this is a place where you can get really good care, and lots of resources and lots of people who care and want to help help yep. patients and families. So yeah, thank you for having me. Well, thank you. If, if our listeners want to get a mm-hmm. hold of you, what's the mm-hmm. best way for them to reach you? Yeah, so um, I do, I have a website for my business, um, which is therapeuticdesign.com. Um, and I also, I work, I work for health partners. So you could reach me through the health partners website. If you, um, look under the provider listing. Um, and I think those are probably the two best ways. Okay. And mm-hmm. again, you'd look for Dr. Sonia Mosh, mm-hmm. M-O-S-C-H, mm-hmm. um, with health partners. And I mean, just Google her. She will be popping up. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I will definitely connect you with uh, Steve Orfield with the Orfield Labs. I think Great. Have a wonderful. wonderful conversation. And I thank you so much for, for coming out today and, and joining us in the studio. It's always nice to meet new people. And thank like you. I said, virtually, I've kind of been watching you <laughs> out there. <laughs> and uh, like I said, you came very highly recommended from uh, Holly ID with uh, Hellstar Home Health, and um, when she talks, I listen. You know? <laughs> She's a smart lady. Yeah, we, we, we do a lot of stuff together and uh, have a lot of, I guess, uh, same thoughts in terms of how mm-hmm. to care and how to work, mm-hmm. work with one another. And, mm-hmm. and again, I just think it's fabulous what, what your clinic has to offer and the fashion that they do do that in. And, um, you know, I know many of the staff down there and uh, can't speak highly enough of them. So, oh, thank you. Now you're another one I can add to the thank list you. there. So thank you. See, if you missed our last radio show, we had Mindy Bolton on. She's a recreational therapist who uses arts to engage those with dementia. Great conversation. You're going to want to go back and listen to that. Uh, it's in our archives like all of our shows. And our upcoming show, we are going to have author Christine Grout on, 
And we're also going to have filmmaker um, Roberto Carlos on, and he did the film Inside My Bean, a fabulous, fabulous short film. So uh, check, check, uh, check all of those uh, upcoming shows out. And then I also want to remind you that Dementia Chats will be up and running again for December. We will be back to our second and fourth Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, 9 Mountain, 8 a.m. Pacific. So hope to see you then. And uh, watch for the film His Neighbor Phil. You can go to alzheimerspeaks.com and go to initiatives and projects, and there's a page there that will list um, the various showings that are that are happening. And uh, again, wish you guys all a wonderful holiday season. And don't forget to uh, reach out to Dr. Sonia Mosh if she can help you in any fashion at all. I'm going to wrap up with uh, just remembering uh, to use your memory chip and focusing when you're dealing with somebody. Instead of that long list of things to do that can kind of get overwhelming, go in first, focus on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. I promise you, you'll change your approach on how you do those items on that list. Have a great holiday season, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye now. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire, become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.